From beyond the farthest reaches of our galaxy they come. Two brains pulsing with a strange energy. These space brains come to share their love of science fiction movies. Welcome to Space Brains, the show where we joy watch sci-fi movies and tell you what was good and what was great. I'm Sari and this is Mark. Hiya. Tonight we're talking about The Thing. Now this is the 2011 version, so consider this your spoiler warning. So if you haven't seen this movie yet, go back and watch it. It's a 2011 movie with Joel Edgerton and it's really quite good, so watch it and Join us again as we talk about it. So, Sari, what was your number one takeaway from The Thing? My number one takeaway from The Thing was that body horror is always done best, I think, with practical effects as much as possible. Yeah, definitely. And the reason I say that is they originally did practical effects in this movie, but then it got overwritten with digital. And the digital effects are pretty good. But there's something about that original 1982 thing where you see that bubbling, gooping, you know, claws and fur matted tearing out. There's, there's something very uh, visceral about the way light and reflections and shadows hit those real objects as opposed to the digital objects. Yeah, Having I said that. They yeah. did a pretty good job. Yeah, couldn't agree more with... Um you know, practical effects. So, and that, that was the thing we talked about previously with the Netflix, the Dark Crystal TV show, you know, that, that they talked, I know the producer of that talked a lot about, you know, that in making that they wanted to keep a lot of those, that puppetry, of course, in there, but then also mix in a bit of the gym, the digital effects, sorry. So that good old Jim Henson puppetry, but then mix it with some digital. And I think that always works well, whereas if you go too much, digital it always doesn't quite work does it you you need a bit of that you need it to look like we could touch it lick it you know feel it and that, and feel it coming towards us i think for it to fully work don't you reckon yeah i i think the um the subtle art of mixing the two is not yet quite been perfected yeah uh, there's some pretty good efforts and very close sort of uh, movies of it and and a, in a way Jurassic Park Back in 1992, four, I want to say, 92, was, 93. Oh, I'll <laughs> probably get toasted by some Jurassic Park fan, but yeah, the uh, they yeah that movie famously brought in these dinosaur um, computer graphics. Yeah, and they also have a very heavily relied on animatronics. So the Triceratops was entirely a, a, a big. Jabba the Hutt style latex device, uh, but obviously the T-Rex, which famously ate the lawyer out of the toilet, was a computer-generated model. And since then, I think they've been, you know, everyone's been trying to get that, that right mix where it becomes a seamless 
uh, melding. And I am mother, I think, has been the best. I thought that was entirely practical effects. Yeah, me too. Uh, and it isn't it funny that in the past you'd sort of um, go, oh, I can tell that's a model. Yeah. And you'd be disappointed there wasn't um, computers. And now it's like, ah, oh, that's sort of, I think that's computer graphics. And you go, nope, model. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or vice versa, you think, I, I swear that that that's, looks so realistic. No, it's a computer. Yep. So, yeah, I and Mother did a really great mixing there of, of that robot suit with uh, computer overlays to, to make it work properly. And this movie, The Thing, which is it's a little bit older, uh, it, it, I think, would have benefited from leaving in just a little bit more of the slime and the goop and the, the intestines and so forth. They yeah. had a little bit in there, which is quite good but maybe a, a slightly stronger mix towards the, the practical. That's that's my takeaway here. It, um, yeah, I've run out of things to say on that. But, <laughs> so tell me though, is this uh, hope? No, surely not. Warning or an experiment? Well, it's got to be a warning, doesn't it? Isn't it warning, warning, warning for this one? Because it's literally, you know, these dudes find the thing or find an alien spacecraft, find the alien, dig it out of the ice, and then they want to straight away, like, get it out, don't they? They want to they kind of, like, you know, find out what it is. So it's kind of like, to me, just a total warning. It's just warning people, you know, where you, you know, when you go looking for these things, it's, this is what you're going to find, which is, like, murderous death from a creature from outer space, you know, that's... I, I, you know, I, I mean, I've seen both versions of this and this is a really good version of this story. And it's just such a, it's such a simple story, isn't it? You know, like you, you know, save the cat with Blake Schneider. And he talks about that idea of like cavemen. This is really cavemen story, isn't it? It's so simple. It's like go into the cave and there's something scary in the cave that can just totally annihilate a human it's just a warning to me. Like, it's just a pure warning story. Yeah, it's the, the, you know, poking your nose where it doesn't belong. It's the yeah. magician's apprentice playing with forces that are beyond your knowledge. And it does That's go beyond. I mean, this film is science fiction because of the alien, the thing, and some of the things they do about, which, I don't know, you might talk about later, like in terms of, you know, looking, preserving old bodies and looking into that. But... It it also just hits the nail on the head of a horror, doesn't it? Because that boss, <clears throat> he wants he he wants to dig the alien out, and he's talking about the is greed the right word, or is it more? It's not quite greed, is it? Because it's not so much well, money. La it, lack of empathy there. So yeah, you know where it's that thing where um, the F Hendrix is that his name who gets killed right at the the first dude. Mm. And then he's like, oh, we, we still need to, this is a very important um, yeah, discovery. We still yep. need to examine it. And, and I mean, the alien, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and everyone's kind of a little bit shocked here going, you know, we're all kind of reeling from the fact this guy got ripped to pieces or yeah. swallowed by something. Yeah. And your primary concern is being the first person to examine an alien. Yeah. Uh, well, frankly, I don't know how I would be in that situation. Yeah, I mean, it's a hard one, isn't it? It's, it's like a car crash in a way. You don't know how you're going to react, do you? It would depend a bit on how close it was. Like all those Norwegian dudes, yeah, they're going to be quite close. Like yeah. They've been living in Antarctica for there for 
probably six months minimum. I don't know how many tours of duty as such they've done there, but yeah, yeah they would all be quite close to each other. Yeah. And having one of them suddenly die like that, yeah, like on a, you know, they, they're doing ice core sampling. They've got no interest in aliens. Yeah, that's right. And this thing suddenly comes out and like, you know, it's a bit of a curiosity first and then it kills one of them. They were they're even if they weren't good friends, they'd still be, you know, very familiar, be like suddenly losing something close to you. Yeah, yeah. And the risk even like the brings it home the risks risk of their job to themselves and, you know, the family sort of aspect of it all and stuff. But yeah, you you're saying empathy, I agree with that, but it's actually also because it's not it's not so much greed as in money but it's like fame and fame isn't it you know that in in the science world i think the boss wanted to be he you know the first person to discover an alien and do an autopsy and you know his name would be is that the right word fame i feel like i'm stumbling over what i'm trying to say there but no i, I think it is it's, he he wants to be powerful in his own world yeah. and his world is that of scientific discovery yeah. So he's not looking to gain wealth specifically. No. He never sort of seemed to indicate, just think of what you could do with this, how much yeah. you pay for it, you know, which is one path that has often taken these sort of, these tough yeah, horror movies. Right. Uh, he's gone down that, you know, we can't just tell anyone about this. No. Uh, and in fact, when Joel, was it Joel Edgerton's character mm. says, well, I got to fly him back to the um, the base, yep. uh, McMurdo Station, and just tell him what happened. As yep. crazy as it sounds, that's right. You, you get that you get that immediate feeling of that. You're going, okay, this is one of the situations where the the uh, scientist fellow, whatever his name is, uh, I'm trying. I'm just trying to look for his name quickly. Station yeah. chief, no. I call anyway. The- you, you think that that okay? That he's going to kill him now. Yeah, I called him the That's... boss because he kind of was the boss. I didn't actually get his name because the names, it's funny this movie, isn't it? Like they they give you a list of names, but they don't really, it, that's what it is. It's very much like a list. It didn't really matter their names so much, did it? Because no. they were just kind of archetypal Sander. characters. They just played their role. So that's why I called him the boss. It, you you yeah. could even, it could even be an example. Some writers I know, script writers especially they'll write like that you know they're like the boss the girl <laughs> you know the hero because it's just like literally it doesn't matter about their names and that's what this film probably could have had but anyway full circle it is science fiction because the alien but it is also very horror because we have a character the boss i'm gonna call him correct me if i'm wrong you know hit us up and let me know that i'm totally wrong and let me know his name but um you know, he was after that, like his ego, he wanted to feel, fulfill his ego in the science world. And so it was, it, that was the, that was the uh, crime or the moral. Vanity. Yeah. Vanity. That's, that's, that's a deadly sin. <laughs> Thank you. We're talking deadly sins here. It's a horror. That's his it. His deadly sin was vanity. That's right. That's right. I had it on the tip of my tongue. Thank God. Sorry. Well done. Yeah, yeah um, vanity. That was what exactly what he was going for. His ego. I kept thinking ego, but I was going, that's not right. But it, yeah, he was running with and his ego. I just ego. watched Shazam. Uh, in that movie, there's like the seven deadly sins. Ah, you were more knowledgeable yeah. on it. Yeah, that's exactly right. Seven deadly sins. Says a lot for writers, the seven deadly sins, doesn't it? But um, yeah, so his was vanity. He, and you're exactly right. That example of they've gone through this horror. One of them's been you know, totally ripped apart and we'll get back to that scene later because it is quite a cool scene. And then straight away he wants to do an autopsy. Not so much to like, you know, 
save the poor body or anything of the human, but it's to, you know, again, get I would have thought he'd at least come forward and say, oh, well, we should recover him. We can't, we can't just leave yeah. poor old Henrik in the, inside, you know, an, inside alien. an alien. We should get him out first, but no, you could tell he wanted to, you know, and this has been done uh, and we can get into it, can't we? We can get into it, but it, it did remind me a lot of Alien, you know, the movie Alien, which we've done earlier. This film's a bit like that, isn't it? You know, it's kind of like there's, mm someone in the midst of them that is they've got another agenda you know when most of them are just there to like live and survive and do their job um whereas he was there he has another hidden agenda which is like to get this information out to the public and you're right vanity is his sin so the sin of the movie is vanity well in fact uh matisse the director particularly said that he was thinking of Alien and the original thing mm. when he was making this film because they're his two favourite movies. There you go. I could see Alien all over this, couldn't you? You could really see it in it, I thought. Oh, yeah. Well, they had the, uh, the female lead uh, who was trying to do the correct thing and was trying, you know, and, and people were, other people were freaking out doing the wrong thing. Yeah. Which is very Ellen Ripley. Yes. Yeah, see, oh, look, I'm going to agree. Warning, uh, it's it's in no way hope, and because there's there's no uh, what do you call it, no virtue shown. No, um, the the day is not won because of love or you know uh, hope or teamwork or anything like that. No, uh, it's just falls short of a tragedy. In fact, this movie was a is a prequel to the to the 1982 thing. Okay, yeah, right. So the start of night of the nineteen eighty John Carpenter movie has a helicopter with pontoon floats chasing after a sled dog shooting at it. Right, yeah. And then this uh this helicopter sort of crashes and the one of the passengers, Norwegian who can't speak any English, is trying to warn the American base with Kurt Russell in it away from the dog, the sled That's dog. That's right. I remember now. But yeah. they end up having to shoot him because he's he's mental, and yep. they can't understand what he's saying because he's he's jabbering and well, he's Norwegian. Norwegian. <laughs> and then and then Kurt Russell and Co. fly back to the Norwegian base and find it all burnt out and like um they, they find a corpse there which they they bring back which um gives them clues them into this alien but this sled dog is the one then that has yeah. spread the. The thing, so it is actually a direct prequel. Uh, in making this film, Matisse didn't want to redo it, and although oddly enough, in 2020, there this year they're supposedly starting filming of a remake. Uh, we yet to see if that actually gets filmed. A lot of things have been cancelled. They're filming. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Season two of The Witcher has been put on hold. Yeah, which is a shame. Yeah. I was forward to that. I think you'll you'll see that most things are put on hold now for a good few months because even this, even Space Brain, sorry, should we let them in on the secret that we're not in the same room anymore? I'm in my um, ivory tower apartment block right at the top penthouse overlooking the world. You're stuck in I'm your in little a, dungeon. I'm in a secluded space station yeah. orbiting Earth by yeah. myself with nothing but an artificial intelligence as my friend. <laughs> yeah. Just, just remember. What I don't realize how... is that I'm the artificial intelligence. That's it. And I'm... my friend is the actual human astronaut. Yes, Hal. We dun, hear dun, you, Hal. Plot twist. Yeah, good plot twist. 
Okay, so what else have you been up to apart from orbiting the Earth to protect yourself from this deadly virus? Uh, working from home, taking the kids out. I finished watching Ragnarok, which is a contemporary fantasy. Norwegian, as it turns out, as well. Mm. It's quite good. Uh, and I have started watching season two of Altered Carbon. Ah, uh, yeah, right. If you've seen that, I've, I've read the book, the first book of this. And that's quite good. The, the TV show deviated a little bit from the book. Yeah. But the essence there, if you haven't heard of Altered Carbon, the basic premise is that humans have, through the introduction of this technology called a stack, which sits at the base of your skull from birth, it allows your brain to, your, your personality and so forth, to be digitized so that you can interact in virtual worlds as one thing but also you can actually exist entirely within the stack removed from your body, which they call sleeves. So you can be re-sleeved, which is to put your personality into another stack in another body. Right. And, and in this way, rich people have been able to live for centuries because they can afford um, to perfectly clone themselves. And because every time you get re-sleeved, if you don't have like a, a really strong biological match, things start going a bit, shonky but if you're rich enough you can get the you know perfect biological clones of yourself which means that you don't have any of this rejection problems and they live for centuries and become ever richer and more powerful and into this world comes a uh i mean what is he he's he's essentially operating now as a, as a bit of a bounty hunter private investigator but he's not really that officially he's actually an ex super like special forces not a super soldier but special forces sort of soldier who then joined a rebellion that wants to turn off these stacks saying you know that it's it's a perversion of humanity this this process and so he's come out of that and he's got you know, he's got a bit of a history of that but he keeps getting because he's had this history of being this special forces guy who is who were particularly trained to jump into new bodies all the time and what have you, he gets hired by rich people to, to f- fix their problems and hilarity ensues. Of course. Yes, so it's it's quite good. It's very interesting. It's, it's very pretty. It has some really interesting concepts about immortality, the human soul, uh, virtual reality, and the way computers could be integrated. Uh, there's an artificial intelligent hotel that he stays at, which has like a um, Edgar Allan Poe, fetish i suppose you might say yeah and yeah and, and you know like good bits of action and uh it's very interesting take yeah I've, i know lots of it i've just never i've not watched the actual tv show but it's on my to-do list well i should do it yeah w- well worth it and other than that there i'm taking a, a crash course on um how to write uh, self-help manuals oh yeah for my, you know, how to write a novel. So I wrote, I finished the draft, I'm in revision, and then and I, I think I mentioned this last time, and then I've gone through and discovered as there are all of these ways of breaking down a plot and a story in order to write your screenplay or a novel, there's likewise a lot of analysis goes into how to write a, what amounts to sort of a teaching text, uh, but like a standalone course in a book. Um, and I, 
as a teacher, you've probably come across a lot of this sort of theory uh, in terms of presenting to humans, but this is kind of distilling that into a book, which is a little bit different again. So I'm sort of having to learn a whole lot of stuff. And so that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, oh, how about you? How's your, how's your scripting going? How's your well, it, with I've got to say, viruses? with this whole coronavirus thing, it, creatively it's, it's sort of stumped me a little bit, you know, like it's a little bit, a little bit hard to the last, well, really last couple of weeks, it's just been so much uncertainty that my time off has been a bit like instead of editing, because I'm still editing that, that so my short film, the memory I was going to put into festivals and I still want to do that, but most of the festivals have now cancelled. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a stumping ground of it, you know, it's slowed me down. And then when I've had the time that I can have to edit um, uh, both those Friday uh, where I have a bit of spare time, um, I've sort of been trying to organise things on the house and things for, the, things for work and things for school and things for the kids. And so, yeah, the creative things definitely stopped. Uh, when I've, but when I've been writing, uh, I've got... Um, the I think I mentioned to you last time that it's not something that was really on my radar, but I actually now am thinking of writing a novel, and I've got I've got an idea, um, and it's going to actually be in the crime genre, so a little bit of a different genre than my scripts, and I don't know why, but that's the one that's come to me, and I suppose I'm kind of I've lent towards maybe writing a novel from the point of view, apart from you, sorry, inspiring me, of course. Um, but oh, Well, of course. <laughs> uh, but also just thinking, well, you know, if at the end of the day none of my scripts ever get bought or made into big films unless I make them, um, well, my, it might just be a legacy that I actually leave a novel, you know, behind. So, But anyway, I thought about it and then actually I got this crime idea, which again is not necessarily, you know, a genre that I... Uh, yeah, I tend to write, but it's it's come to me, and I've got a I, f I feel like I've got a pretty solid idea. So I have been nutting that out, like a good old story structure. Just going back to the drawing board with that. Um, I've also got the next feature that I want to write, which is more of a horror, uh, a crocodile horror story. So that's um, yeah, that's sort of I've beated that out, and so that's probably my next one. I just need to do a bit more research, uh, both with crocodiles and with that genre of film there's a couple of films I know of I'll need to sit down and just watch just to kind of get my head around about what's been done before and um yeah and then also the idea of which you and I have talked about the vlog kind of idea and so I've been nutting out some of the key topics that I want to do uh, so yeah I've been busy that way but I think this last two weeks to be honest the coronavirus has stifled a bit of the creativity you know especially the unknown of what was good like you know what's going to happen with schools what's going to happen with society and all that sort of stuff i think now that we're we're heading into probably just pretty much a total shutdown it, it feels like you know what what to expect now a little bit don't you reckon yeah i i think so it's there's been a lot of back and forward and umming and ahhing and the positive side of this so from a creative take is often when you're watching these movies about, uh, oh, I mean, The Thing, where they're, they're talking about quarantine, yeah. and, or you're watching some of these other um, disaster films and so forth, is 
uh, it's very hard, I find, to even appreciate the sort of irrational behavior of people. Yeah. You know, you sort of think, I, surely people wouldn't do that. But uh, again, you go in and you find people are abusing checkout clerks at yep. Coles. And you just want to say to them, you do realize what you're doing is totally irrational. Like it's yeah, it's insane. Well, the way that people in Australia... And they probably froth at you and attack you back, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, even just the way people have panicked by is ridiculous. I mean, the even when you look at Italy, which is like a month ahead of our kind of pattern of the virus outbreak, I mean, their grocery stores are still open. So I'm not too sure why everyone went into this meltdown of wanting to strip the grocery stores of all the supplies. Like, it's a panic This is another buy. thing I've... I find confusing. Another thing I find confusing is everyone on my social media, everyone I talk to has got the same question. Mark. They're going, who's doing this? Yeah. Like, who's buying six months worth of whatever? Yeah. Like there's going to be. And so if everyone's asking the same question, I have the real question more specifically, specifically who is doing it? Yeah. Like I can't even, I've never, I've, I've kept an eye on people's trolleys. I'm walking through wondering. And I'm just seeing normal trolleys, you know. Um, there's no one there with like you know, a, a whole box of something in there or no. cartons of whatever, you know. And so I'm, I'm thinking if everyone's asking this same question of who's doing it, um, you know, and, and I've led to a, a thought on this is that it's just a, it's not that someone has gone in and bought, you know, 50 packets of pasta, it's more the case that, you know, Joe Bloggs goes in there and he he normally buys a packet of spaghetti each week because it has spaghetti bolognese on a Thursday. Yeah. But he goes, oh, you know what? I'm not sure if we're going to be, you know, have to stretch this out for another week or two. So he buys two packets of spaghetti yeah. and a packet of rice, which you'd normally buy every other week. So you look at his trolley and you think, well, he's got two packs of spaghetti and a packet of rice. I mean, that's not much. But he, really, he's bought sort of two weeks. Double his normal amount, yeah. Or two and a half weeks worth of some of these items that he'd normally buy. And if you get enough people doing that, sort of going, I'll yeah. just pick up an extra yeah. pack because I'm not sure when I'm next going to come in here. Maybe I'm going camping or whatever, you know. Yeah. And so I'm thinking that everyone's looking around going, who's doing the panic buying? The real answer is we all are just a little bit. Yeah. So there's not someone going in there just filling up trolley. I mean, I'm sure there probably are some cases of that, but I think by and large, I think you're not going to find someone with a trolley full of canned food, you know, yeah. and dragging another trolley behind them full of toilet paper. I, I think you'll probably find that it's just that everyone went and bought a packet of toilet paper, even though they didn't need it, when normally they'd wait another three, four weeks before they bought a packet. Yeah. And so there's three or four times the normal purchasing though no one has really bought what would appear to be a lot. So I, think, I can only imagine well, I that must the be the toilet it. paper people did, it looked like, I mean, we didn't, but it looked like people bought more than their fair share. You know what I mean? Like they did buy two or three, even in that one of those fighting videos between the two women, one of them has like four packets in her trolley, you know? you don't. No one needs four packets of toilet paper. No, I, I'm concerned <laughs> about the amount of food waste is just going to happen. Cause yeah, it's going to be massive. You go through like... All the flour and all the bread mix is all gone. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm looking at it thinking, has everyone, like all those people who have bought like 20 kilos of flour, yeah. do they normally do any baking at all whatsoever? Do That's they even right. know what sort of flour they've got? Have they got the right flour for what they want to do? Yeah. Because I'm going to suspect 
that most of them haven't. And That's they're right. going to go, oh, I get it, I get it, because I'm going to do this, that, and the other thing. Only problem is every time they go past the bakery, still got bread in there, so they just buy the normal bread. That's right. <laughs> and then in six months' time, they're just going to have 20 kilos of flour, and it's going to have like bugs in it or something. Yeah. Because they didn't put it into an airtight jar, and yeah, it's going to be chucked out. And so it's like just going to be tons of flour and other foods that are just going to get chucked out because some people just went a bit crazy. Yep. But anyway, it does give an interesting insight then when I'm because I'm thinking writing these sorts of things when you increase uncertainty because in Australia we've always had a very stable uh, society it's, it's can't imagine what other nations go through uh, but this has got this it's only a small amount of uncertainty too but suddenly yeah. people are you know there's literally like there's caravan convoys heading out I saw it on the weekend yeah and you know, people is going I'm heading to the hills you know or whatever wherever they hope to go they're going to find a lot of other people with caravans there with them i suppose yeah but there's there's this kind of doomsday almost um fever going on and i think i think i would really like to capture that and so i'm really trying to think through this and watching how people behave and the sorts of things they say because one day and i can't be too soon because it'll be too soon but maybe in 10 or 15 years time i would like to write something along this lines that um yeah so from that well, point of view it's kind of interesting yeah i mean i've watched enough of the walking dead to know that it's not the zombies that are the problem it's the humans that are actually the problem isn't it <laughs> oh and, yeah i'm worried about america though you know that that movie there's a really good movie that steven soderbergh movie contagion you know and that one that's what happens in that basically you know that really rapidly with the virus spread that it's not so much the virus that's really dangerous, it's then people, you know, the, the, it's the exact same thing that we've seen, like their supermarkets get empty and then after that people make a really irrational decisions and then the next thing you know you've got like panic and then people like start breaking the law because then there's not enough to go around and, you know, the next thing you know you've got this like crumbled society at your fingertips, you know, and, and then you see that in a movie like that, like I remember watching that it's done very realistic. You know, he does it day by day kind of thing. Not like yeah. the zombie movies where it is suddenly they wake up and it's, you know, there's no one in the city. But in that Contagion movie, it's more broken down slowly. Um, and then it's just a free fall. It's a shit show. And you see the panic and you see what's just happened here in Australia with shopping and toilet rolls and people maybe starting to fight. The other night, you're right, like I saw someone abusing Coles uh, Coles checkout. I also saw really bad road rage um, very close to our house. That was at nine o'clock at night. I've seen people run into Bunnings and make like really weird choices. Um, I've seen people on the train like look at each other a little bit really oddly, you know, because, you know, they're not white skinned. You know, suddenly there's like a bit of racism going on because of where this virus kind of apparently originated wow. from. And so, yeah, you suddenly get, you get a a human like cornered and panicked and you just kind of don't really know what they're about to do, do you, you know? <laughs> and if that goes on for too long, their, their fight or flight's been running for too long and then they're in trouble, I think, you know? So I think it, I'm, I agree with you. It's fascinating to watch as a writer and go, ah, okay, now I'm sort of understanding what people, you know, I get that idea of being really super panicked now for a long period of time and what that might mean. A perfectly rational person might just do something totally irrational. Yeah. 
It, uh, it it also highlights then the benefit of effective leadership. Definitely. Where yeah, making good decisions early. Yep. And providing feedback early, uh, you know, solves a lot of problems. So we have we have and two problems in Australia is that we don't really respect our leaders, and we don't really, in general, we don't also like being told what to do. So it's going to be interesting if the restrictions get tighter here because there's definitely a pretty big part of our society that go no fuck you <laughs> not yeah, interested so unfortunately they're they're the part of society who are going to come out the other end suffering hardest they are and it'll be a, a tragedy but speaking of tragedies this the thing. movie <laughs> luckily averts tragedy by killing a lot of alien it does kill a lot of alien, but it does kill a lot of humans as well, really, doesn't it? It comes out pretty pretty good, really, the alien, when you talk about human to alien ratio. I, I, I don't know about you, but at the start of this, I thought, shit, this is a, there's a lot of characters here. There's going to be a lot of death in this movie. <laughs> there were so, a lot of characters. I saw that. But, yeah, okay, so, so we'll start so off here with this. This movie starts telling us it's 1982 in Antarctica. Yeah, good year. And they've, we've got... I thought it was interesting. It was so specific. I actually had to because I, I was watching this on my computer. This great new monitor, big yeah. twenty-seven inch monitor for working from home, and so I had my second monitor up, and I could actually pull up the um, the Wikipedia and and IMDb whilst I watched the movie. So I mm. went, "Oh, eighty-two. That was when the first thing was." So I was yeah uh, interested. But yeah, so they're if rolling along in a snow cat, and there's a bunch of Norwegians talking. It's subtitled. Uh, there's one dude in the back who's carefully listening to a little um, oscilloscope radio tracker. Or for those that don't know that big word, like a beeping machine. Yeah, the thing that goes bing. Well, it's it's you know one of those things that shows the ABC logo on it. Yeah, it's the sine wave on it, and it's sort of going backs and forwards, and he's dialing a little dial and listening yeah. carefully. And the sound's kind of getting louder, I think, isn't it? Yeah, and the, and the curve is becoming less erratic and more stable. Yeah. And the Norwegians are telling a joke, which is a little a, bit off-colour about... Um, a nice, dirty joke. Good horror movie. About a, about a bit of sex. As I thought it was, <laughs> it was a fairly funny <laughs> funny yeah. joke. Yeah. I, I won't repeat it here because no. it's quite ill in, in poor taste. But, you know, there you go. People are about to get their heads and bodies ripped apart. Yeah. You can't really complain too much about a a joke in poor taste. No. So they, they drive along and finally the guy says, stop. And they stop this snow cat, this like, you know, tread, treaded uh, vehicle. And he says, oh, that's it. It's really close by. And he sort of plays with it and he goes, we're right on top of it. And then there's a cracking noise and they go, oh, crap. And the whole ice that they're sitting on collapses and they fall. And I was, I was thinking, okay, well, that's just the end of them. The, yeah the main characters are now going to come along as a rescue team or something. Yeah, to find something like that. But luckily, they they get wedged in the ice crevice and they turn on their headlights and it shines down into the dark and slowly as the, the snow sort of settles, all the ice crystals, you see uh, what is clearly to us modern science fiction watchers, a spaceship. Yeah. You can tell because it's that sort of metallic metal a gunmetal gray uh, and it's got smooth sweeping curvatures and almost um 
you might almost call it sort of Celtic knot style uh, designs on it. And so we know that must be a spaceship. That's really nicely done that, isn't it? Because they kind of, they're wedged, um, you know, on the front of this snowmobile, you know, looking down at this massive crevice in the ice and... You know, the, the, as they're looking at it, we get a glimpse of the ship, but then it's like the titles come towards us. So it's, it's like it's growing towards us, uh, but it's not the, yeah, it's it not like so it much the alien. It's, yeah, it's the actual titles saying the thing. So I thought that was a really cool way of, and they're of course reacting like in horror, like because they could probably see the actual creature coming towards them, couldn't they? But they didn't. They don't show us the audience. That was a really clever technique. Yeah, and. The um, let's see, we, we then flash cut, to after these credits, we we cut to what looks like, yeah, I thought it was, it was a probe up someone's nose, there's all <laughs> little hairs and like bits and pieces, but it's it's actually this um, this woman, uh, what's her name, Claire. Kate, Kate Lloyd, Kate, that's it, not Claire, Kate. Uh, if if uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead would like to get in touch with us and talk yeah. to us about her role as Kate Lloyd, we'd love to hear from her. Uh, so she's a paleontologist and she's you know, sticking a, one of these, um, what do they call laparoscopic or, a, no, not laparoscopic, a, a, uh, endoscope. Yeah. Endoscopic little camera into a, well, I guess it's maybe a, a snow wolf or, a, or a, some sort of frozen dog animal creature yeah that had been dug out of the arctic tundra yeah kind of looked like yeah. a little dinosaur to me you know like it was it didn't look didn't really look like a creature we know today you know no yeah it looked a bit bit mutey but but still like a something maybe prehistoric not yeah. alien yeah and she gets approached quite quickly by uh, the boss. Yeah, the boss. So, well, well, no, this other guy comes in who's, what's his name? Uh, I can't remember his name. The boss's underling, Adam. Adam, Adam, that's Ca- it. Yeah, yeah. Ad- Adam comes in. He looks a bit like a surfer. He does. I was expecting him to be like, he always looks a bit like Paul Walker. Yeah, he uh, does, doesn't he? Fast and Furious. Yeah. But he, he comes in and says, oh, look, you know, I work for this Dr. Sander Halverson or whatever his name is. And he'd like to talk to you. And in works Dr. Sander and he says, do you know who I am? And she goes, yes. And then he says, yes, I've been told about you as well. And, and basically invites her to come and extract something. Yeah. And as he only says that there's a structure and a specimen. Yes. And so come intrigued. and extract my specimen. <laughs> yes. But he's not but seedy. I'm, he's just like, he's arrogant. Yes. He's just, yeah, he's looking, yeah, you'll want to do this, of course. Yeah. You know who I am. Yep. Which is, uh, just, that is the worst possible thing you'd ever say to anyone. Do you know who I am? Yeah. Because you just want to look and go, I'm going to guess a turd. Yeah, that's is right. That, is that wrong? He kind of looks like a turd, doesn't he? He looks like a turd in a suit. Yeah. So, so she, well, you know, obviously because the movie's going to continue, she says yes. And then we've got, and, which you and I have talked about numerous times, sorry. Yes. But they actually do it quite well in this movie. I've, I want to give this movie kudos for the, what they do here. We have the helicopter ride to the, the wherever we're going. I really thought. And we're going to oh, run around predator. all these different characters and we're going to kind of get a little snippet of each character. And so we know a little bit about them before they all get slaughtered. 
Hunt, <laughs> which yeah. you and I really talked about in detail for Predator did it so well. That is the benchmark, isn't it? We know Predator did it so well, the original one. And yeah, what Predator did, did it very well. What, how does this these... movie stack up for you versus Predator in that helicopter scene? Introduce us uh, to it, a bunch of characters. It didn't establish these characters very well from a point of view of wanting them to survive. Yeah, It established I agree. them as being... Um, differentiated in terms of uh, the sleeping Russian, uh, not Russian, Norwegian fellow. Norwegian. Yeah. And then uh, the two Americans, one of yeah. them is, is missing his basketball team, the Cavaliers. Yeah. Cavaliers. I assume they're a basketball team, he says they are. Yeah. Oddly enough, of course, it's actually an Australian saying that, but. He's got uh, an American accent, yeah. it's okay. Yeah, yeah, and so we get we get a bit of interaction, and I immediately thought of Predator, uh, but what they're missing here, I think, was a a defining tool for each of them. Mm. So in in Predator, you got, you know, uh, uh, was it Jesse Ventura had like a really strong, you know, Texan accent and the chewing tobacco, so you can immediately recognize him from that, and then. Uh, you know, uh, that was Blaine, the character, and then there was Billy, who the American Indian fellow, who was, you know, looking all the uh, stereotypical Native American warrior putting yeah, on, he's putting on the war paint, paint, you know, and looking very uh, stoic. And he doesn't but in this find one here. Funny. In this one here, I th- I think that they probably could have given us each one of them like a little, like a, a special hat. Mm. A little badge, you know, just something so that you can spot them out. Yeah, it's quite nice that they didn't go and say, "Well, I'm a paleontologist. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm a military specialist. Well, I'm a you know, what yeah. the hell are we all doing together?" That's going to be one of the most cliched scenes. They they but kind no, they, of, they did quite they, well. It's very natural sounding. Yeah, they they kind of they didn't quite get it to the level of predator, but they did. They, they didn't introduce them all, as you just said, which would be very boring and that, that never works, as, as you and I talk about. But they did, um, they kind of, they didn't also give us enough traits to then distinguish them. So it's like, it's a weird mixture, that type of scene, isn't it? When you bring in a bunch of specialists together into a room and it's always, it always tends to be always a helicopter or a plane or something, quite often it is a helicopter. Even you mentioned Jurassic Park, they do that in Jurassic Park. So it's like Predator, for you and I, Predator is the benchmark because they all have little traits. They all interact with each other. We know they're a unified team, but none of it is really cliched. Like they're all unique enough. And we all then realize from that moment on in Predator, like what each strength kind of each character's strength is. In this, they didn't go that deep. They didn't go the cliche of like introducing them all. They gave them... They, they, they made the scene a little bit more natural. So the thing I liked was Sam, who's the pilot, played by Joel Edgerton, he kind of, he does talk about the bus. He asks her about, he, he, he actually, remember he says, is she American? Like to his co-pilot? And then the, he nods and it's like, oh, so because he's American, whereas it's telling us something like the rest of the people aren't American, which we know, but well, we weren't too sure, I don't think at that point. So then he asked her about basketball. She doesn't know. And I, I was thinking like the cliche there would be him having it. I thought he was going to have a crack at her, like, you know, try to like, yeah. 
you know, have a go because he's like, oh, I'm a pilot out here. I'm American. You're American. Let's let's date. You know, let's go out. You know, let's have a drink. But he didn't, and I so I kind of liked that. You know, so they gave us a little bit of a moment between the two of them without it being seedy or sexual. It was just kind of well, literally I think a moment. That was his, <laughs> I think that was his sort of save the cat sort of yeah instance because like you when he said, you know, it's been three weeks since I've done it. Like you said. Okay, here's the bloody come on. Yeah, that's right. And it's, but instead he just uh, sort of almost, uh, I don't know, sort of childish like, you know, yeah. childlike interest about his Cavaliers. Yeah, you know, do you know anything about the Cavaliers? How they're doing? And he sort of seems a little bit vulnerable about it. And you yeah. kind of go, oh, you know. And there was no sort of hesitation. No sort of, oh, I was going to ask you about your hairstyle and yeah. then maybe a kiss. <laughs> But instead, he asks about his sporting team, and then when she says, "I, you know, I don't follow football," and goes, "They're basketball." Yeah, yeah. And she just goes, "Yeah, well, I, I really can't help you." Yeah. <laughs> he and he looks a bit crestfallen, and his mate makes a bit of a joke at his thing, and so you get that you immediately get that bit of sympathy for him. You go, "Yeah, oh, oh, okay, you know, he's, he's sort of a nice guy." Yeah. And he's just interested in his sporting team. Yeah, yeah. Which, and that you're exactly right. I think of, just he's a nice guy. Like he's not just a creep, or he's not just a cd guys yeah he's there so it just sort of sets that up which is good but as you said they could have probably pushed it a little bit forward he does warn them and this is a good sort of like you know um time clock of the story that there is a storm a coming sorry a storm is a coming in two days they've got a couple of days to do their job and then get out although that didn't really come up later in the film no, it did. It, did, I mean, it was it, kind of a bit stormy outside and, and snowy, but yeah. it didn't sort of really... It could have, I suppose, that, eventuated um, to like lethal conditions, couldn't it? Which it probably would in Antarctica. <laughs> yeah, because I was sort of thinking, you know, they go, oh, we're going to have to quarantine. You'd expect someone's uh, counter opinion would be, if we are here longer than two days, we're here for six months. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Because right. once that storm hits, you know, it's anyone's guess whether we're going to be able to get any contact for another six months. And then that suddenly would make that, that pressure of people, we've got to get out of here. No, we have to lock ourselves in to keep this alien from escaping. Mm. Get that tension really rising. But anyway. uh, I don't think it, it necessarily needed that. There was a good amount of tension there, I think, amongst the characters as we went on. Yeah. So they, they land, though, at this base, and they quite quickly, um, you know, we see a bit of their base. And... You know, they're out at the uh, spacecraft and they sort of says the, uh, oh, yeah, so it was some sort of uh, maybe distress signal triggered when the survivor exited the craft. Yeah. And you're sort of left with that and it's like, ooh. And then up they go and they, they clear away a bit of ice and in there you see some sort of weird silhouette. Yeah. Something with, you can't really make out, is that antennae, is that, Claws. Well, it, it looks like claws, doesn't it? Kind of, you know, it looks it looks mm. a bit ominous in that way. But they also let us know that it's probably a alien ship's probably about a hundred thousand years old. Yeah, yeah. Which would put it around about the time when humanity started mm. evolving. Yeah, interesting. I don't know if they're trying to hint there at something, or if they're just going hundred thousand years uh, coincides with uh, you know. Ice Ages or something. But I liked all this because they were, the plot was really moving. Like they didn't hold back, did they? They kind of, then after that, like with the fingers, they, they basically dig it out and they've got it in a big ice block. 
um, the scene after that, she and the other woman are sort of sharing a bunk and she's looking at the stars out the window and she says, I'll never look at them the same again, meaning the stars. And, yes, uh, you know, because now that obviously they've found an alien, you know. Um, and then, yeah, it's like the, as it says, like the next day. So they really pushed the plot like as in, can we dig it out? We can dig it out. How old is it? It's 100,000 years. Okay, we've got the equipment. We've got the equipment. Okay, they dig it out. There it is. Bam. Massive ice block with some sort of weird creature in it. And there's yeah, that scene. Dig a little bit of the ice to take it with us. Not a problem. Yeah, and they stand all walks, around it, don't they? And that, that's a really nice shot boss, like though. that. You know, they're standing all around and they decide the boss, the boss, <laughs> he wants Naughty a sample, boss. doesn't he? And she rejects this idea. And what happens there, sorry, because it's quite nice. Oh, well, he... he sort of looks at her for a little bit and then ignores her and then just starts asking about what size drill uh, and takes her aside a little bit after that and says, you know, don't contradict me like in front of these people. You're not Which, here to think. You're not here to think. And you're like, well, <laughs> she she is actually. But yeah. What the hell are you talking about? But, I, don't, you know, I don't know if there's like, I mean, look, it's 1982 and she's a woman scientist. So I'm not, I mean, the film's not political, of course, but, you know, it's not about women. In that way, you know, that maybe we would see a film today really address the gender inequality. But, yeah, I really liked That's, that. Like, it really set him up as an arrogant prick, eh? Yeah. So, yeah, and, and that and that's, that's sort of the... What's the opposite of saving the cat? Yeah, you know, like... Well, it's kicking the cat. Killing the cat. <laughs> kicking drowning the cat. the cat. Yeah, drowning so, the yeah, cat. Because yeah. that's, that's, his, that's his real definite, okay, I'm not... A cool guy. Yeah, it is. Maneuver. I mean, it's not quite probably as severe as drowning the cat, but yeah, I mean, the, the you know, because there is movies where or stories where a character might leave someone else to die, you know, and that would be really an opposite to save the cat. Yeah, <clears throat> he doesn't quite go that far, but he is a he's a he's an asshole. This is the yeah, this is the opportunity to establish that. Yeah, he's he's a bit of a douche. He is. So, so they so, drill yeah, they, the ice, and that, that's a really nice film. Yeah, that's a really way of showing the filming, isn't it, that they sort of take this hardcore drill and they're drilling into it. And they're all standing uh, yeah, around uh, it. This is one of my – we're talking about – if we, you know, we always do – I always spoil my favourite scenes. Yeah. This, is, this is not the absolute favourite scene. This is going to be maybe my second or third favourite scene. It's like it's a good scene Yeah. because we had the warning, don't drill into that. Mm. There could be a problem. And he's gone, no, I am vain and I am right. We need to do and this so they now. starts drilling in and you got this tension in you like, because it's making that noise, this constant, really annoying drill noise. And then you get that nice side-on view as you're, as you're watching it crack and work its way down, getting closer and closer to that black silhouette. And, you know, it's it cuts back out to the top of the drill and they're going, they're going, they're pushing, really annoying noise, side view getting closer and closer. And then finally it goes, crunch. It's crunch like it, it. The drill really drops in yeah. suddenly and it's like, yeah. and there's that pause and you're almost waiting at that point for there to be like a groaning creak from the yeah. ice as it starts, you know, as this creature's going to wake up or yeah. something's going to spurt out or, you know, who knows what. So it was, it was a good way of bringing a bit of tension there, which wasn't mm. a jump scare and it wasn't, uh, you know, bloody and gory, but it, it gave you that little bit of, you know, taking breath in and going, oh, oh, you know, he's not doing the right thing. He's been told yeah. that this isn't the right thing. Again, yeah. like you said, Ripley, isn't it? Because she she warned them 
not to drill it. You know, like we don't have the right equipment. Let's let's take the ice block. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's take the ice block. Take it where we can look after it properly. You know, and and they never listen to these women, do they? In these positions, they're like, no, drill it. <laughs> let's cut it open. Let's look inside it. It's very manly, man, isn't it? And and I think that was definitely a a bit of a callback to Alien, where the um uh, the science officer, yeah, what was his name, Kane, yeah, was under different orders. He was under orders to return, get a you know, investigate, and if there's any samples, to return them. All other costs secondary, all yes. other considerations secondary, and that was echoed again in the the sequel to Alien with Paul Reiser's character. Um, can't remember his name, but had that same sort of just gonna get it back and screw everyone else. You got that feeling from this boss fellow here and in, in the thing where he was like, We're going to get samples and we're going to do this and it's you know, all other considerations are secondary. That's right. Yeah, you get that the arrogance mixed with yeah, you know, like you, you're just all plebs, you know, this is something really important. So, and that's, that's really literally what he says in the next scene. There's like, he does a speech, they're all drinking, having a bit of a party, a bit of celebration. And he, he does, he literally tells them about how important this find is to the scientific community. And what he's really saying is how important it is to him. Vanity. Yes. Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> but as he's doing this and of course they party again a good little connection to horror film because whenever people party in horror films sorry we know what happens don't we that's when the bad guy or the monster gets starts approaching yeah and again it's very hunter gatherer because it's like you go off and you relax with your woman you're having a bit of fun a bit of you know, a bit of mammoth juice on the side whatever you're doing <laughs> and the next thing you know there's some other freaking creature at your cave ready to eat you. Yeah. And so then that's the, uh, the pilot, the other American pilot, uh, uh, Derek, his name was, uh, is going off and... Oh, yeah, she wants the special a... stuff, doesn't she? This is where she speaks oh, up. Oh, yeah, go get, go get the scotch, yeah. yeah. And so he ends up going to the roof, the, uh, where the, the big ice cube is. I, I don't know what room that was, some sort of a shack. Yeah. And he's just like looking at it because it's just, well, why wouldn't you? I'd be, I'm, I'm amazed these people weren't just like staring yeah. at it constantly going, holy. <laughs> I agree. Why, why do they is... stand around it with their beers? I mean, honestly. Use it as a, the, the table. Yeah. Keep the beers cool. Exactly. Yeah. So, and then, then, uh, you know, one of the guys does the old, oh, it's just a cat maneuver where he says boo. And then we get a bit of a jump. Yep. And yeah, Derek goes, oh, you, you son of a bitch. <laughs> you son of a bitch, of a bitch. Dutch. <laughs> but it's yes. like it's one and of those things it's a jump scare but then at the same time that you know the filmmaker's done it really well here that we've had that little jump scare but then even when he turns like where we see the ice block is dripping and then yeah. it also cuts to the guy going to the helicopter to get the whiskey and it kind of looks like he's going to maybe get attacked, but then he's back inside the bar and then the ice is melting. And then we get the, the dog is starting to, you know, the dog is like starting to eat the cage that he's in, the, yeah. snow, the snow dog. So he's like, that's always ominous, isn't it, as in these scenes. It's like with aliens and creatures, his dogs start 
you know, they want to, the dog wants to get away from it, doesn't it? You know, it wants to get out. It knows things. And that's always a thing that dogs know a bit more than us humans. They can sense something. Not Hugo, not my dog. No? <laughs> no. Oh my God. He my dog last night, at like I'd just been asleep for like 30 minutes and then starts barking and he never barks. So if he barks, you kind of, you need to get up and go see what he's barking at because he just oh. never barks. And so you kind of like, but then I'm going out there and I'm like, God, is there bloody someone out here or something? Because he, he just doesn't, he doesn't bark. I don't think you attack anyone, but he's got that really deep, dark bark and he never, ever barks. So when he barks, go check it out. But there was nothing there as far as I could see. There might have been the thing creeping over the ceiling, over the, the tiles creep- or something. Yeah. Yeah, but- it's just, just the dog barking. You turn your back for a moment and then Kabushka, the ice cube exploded out and the we, we don't really get a look at it. It's sort no. of got appendages and like a hook or something in it. Yeah. Scampers up through the ceiling, through the roof, yeah. as you'd expect. And this guy, he goes charging back in and says, oh, holy crap, it's it's woken up and everyone... Everyone sort of doesn't believe him there. And I thought we were going to get one of those scenes of, oh, you've just been drinking too much. Which yeah. Is, you know, because initially they're like, don't, don't joke about this, but they do go out and have a look and they're just standing around this empty ice cube. Yeah. And looking at the ceiling. And so they, they split up to go searching. Of course, another bad mistake, split up. <laughs> well, this is straight out of Alien, isn't it? Where they, yeah. uh, the little creature bursts out of, um, I can't remember that guy's name. His chest, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No, it escapes me. I should have remembered. Uh, it bursts out of the chest in there. So they're thinking they're looking for like a little thing. And But this is what surprised me. They saw the size of this thing. Yeah. And it jumped up and smashed through the boom. They're like this ceiling. This heavy timber has broken and fallen down. I would not be looking around just like, you know, with your torches. Just, where is this thing? Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, Come over here. Would, Come on. Jeepers terrify me but yeah so they go looking and they find that the dog has chewed its way out of the cage and there's just a bloody smear yeah where it was when they see the helicopters open the door of the helicopters open so they kind of creep in there but there's nothing in there nothing in there and, and finally then, there's two of them yep uh who are they olaf and olaf Henrik, <laughs> uh looking and they, they hear some noises and they see something moving under one of the uh, cabins. And so they go up and they shine the torch and you can sort of see in there, it, it, to me it looked like, like a cockroach. Yeah. Like a big, shiny, nasty cockroach. It did, didn't it? And it, 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 it shoots some horrible claw thing yeah. out through Henrik's chest and drags him in and he's, he has that moment where he's sort of holding on and then he gets pulled in and starts getting consumed. And yeah. I love is going a little bit mental and shouting and and everyone else comes running over and they're, they're shooting guns. I don't know why they've got guns. Like, there's nothing to shoot in Antarctica, but they've no. got guns. They've got guns. And they're shooting. It's 1982. They've got guns, all right? Yeah, like, I can understand if they're in the North Pole or Alaska because you've got uh, polar bears. Yep. They're in the, the, the South, you've got penguins. Um, well, they've also got grenades, don't they, later we find out, but, you know. Yeah, grenades, that's, that's, I'm not sure why. Okay, you could sort of go, yeah, little pistol handgun thing, maybe. Just in case. Maybe, like you got to put a dog down or something. Yeah. But anyway, so they, they're shooting and it's not doing much and this thing smashes up through the floor into the, the hut and they chuck some petrol on and light it on fire and 
Bushka, and you get this really cool scene where these hooked, like um, praying mantis type scythe claws go smashing out through the timber in various places, and it screams, and then finally it, it just goes clump, collapses, and to drops the to the ground, and they 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 put the fire out, and and that's where we move into that scene where the the, uh, the boss is saying that they need to autopsy the alien and yes yes it's terrible that uh henrik died yes yes of course we will you know look after him but this is too important and i guess i guess some of the other guys sort of agree and they go yeah and i'd have to agree as well as as terrible it was that this guy died he's a freaking alien that killed him it's not like a, a mad dog or a crazed penguin it was yeah it was I, suppose, some, I suppose if you think about what they just went through you know, if you went, you know, because they, they do, they like burn it and they see it and they see his body and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, every, every day people don't, you know, I don't see dead bodies. That would be pretty horrific. And plus you, you would have had all that adrenaline and stuff. So then to like drag it all the way back inside, I don't know, you, you'd be, I think I'd be pretty inclined to put, sort of put a blanket over it for the night and just say, okay, we're going to deal with that in the morning. <laughs> you know, like make sure it's dead. As you said before, the cockroach is dead and then probably yeah, just leave it for the morning, you know. That's what always gets me in these things. My thought would be, uh, I don't know what this thing's capable of. It's like we burnt it and it fell down, stopped moving. I, but, you know, I don't know what that means. But they pull yeah. it up and they, they pop it open and it's suitably sort of noisome and um, someone heads out and has a bit of a chuck and yeah uh but they they find that henrik inside and they cut open this little sack that he's in and he looks all sort of a little bit translucent like he's all new he's not being dissolved he's sort of being rebuilt and they find his broken arm titanium plate mm. outside kate, of his yeah. body kate's the one that finds that yeah yeah and you know they're sort of suitably um, find it weird, but I, I think though they sort of put it aside and, and go, okay, well, you know, we'll deal with this at the moment. Uh, we, we've got a, you know, other things to think about. And yeah, I think the, uh, the boss says it's as though Henrik was being absorbed by the alien. He sort of, that's his conclusion at that point in time. Yes is yeah absorbed and they um oh what are they yeah they they take um they go to the, they go, they, it's the next day and they're gonna fly olaf back and the medic no no just uh, before that but he's so that yeah the pilot um the pilot says i'm gonna fly your friend back you know tomorrow and uh, what do you, and they say what are you gonna tell and he's like i'm gonna tell him the truth um, and then Kate uh, and the surfer guy, what was it? Adam, Adam. They yeah, Adam. take cells and they look, they look in the uh, microscope at the cells of the, from the, from, oh, that's right, Henrik's tissue. Sorry, yeah. They take some tissues of Henrik and they put the cells in. And then when they're looking at them, you can see the cells are alive and they're saying, well, that's impossible. Um, and that's where I thought what you just said, like, you don't know what this thing's capable of. Yes, you've burnt it and it's collapsed. Maybe it's going to regenerate and come back alive. Um, mm. But they're like watching the cells and it's as though the alien cells are consuming Henrik cells. And you can see that through the microscope. But then they, but then they kind of like, 
turn back into the human cells, don't they? Yeah. And she, Kate, says that they're, the cells are permeating, which is like imitating. And so yes. they're very surprised by that, aren't they? Yes. And so she's a sort of, and this is, I think this is what's playing on her mind when in the, the next day when their helicopter is taken off with mm. uh, Olaf and uh, I'm trying to find the name of this other sort of guy that's going with him. Maybe it's the, um, is I it, don't know, who knows? No. Who knows? It's just some other dude. Yeah, he's going, and he doesn't Where's, look well, does he? He looks really crook. Yeah, Olaf is looking pretty bad and a bit yeah. nervous and, and messed up, and this guy's comforting him. And uh, Kate, she's walking about, and she spots something a bit odd, so she goes over and finds fillings. Yeah, bloody, bloody fillings on the floor. And then she looks up and sees that there's like blood all in the shower. Yeah. And she's going, okay, something's really not right. And I think she's put two and two together here at this point. And she runs out and starts waving down the helicopter. It's just taken off. It's just taken off. And, you know, Sam Carter, that's good old Jolly Edgerton, he spots her and goes, oh, we're being waved down. And there's this moment where maybe they're not going to go. And and Derek says, so what are we going to do? And Sam suddenly goes, oh, we've got to land. Yep. We've got to find out what's going on. And it, it has a note here saying that he was an American helicopter pilot Vietnam War veteran who yeah. runs supply operations to the base. So I, I don't know. I didn't actually hear that he was a Vietnam War no, veteran. No, I don't think that was very clear in the movie. But maybe maybe that was kind of uh, his his reasoning there is that someone's waving us down. Yeah. yeah we've got to take this seriously. Like, yeah. He's, he's seen too many serious things. So so he, he goes to land and Olaf is looking, who hears, oh, we're going to land. He's looking like he's... he's getting a bit worked up about this. And the guy sitting opposite him says, don't worry, everything will be okay. And then his face starts pulsing and then it rips in half. Yeah. Revealing a weird mouth thing inside of his head and his body tears in half. Yeah. And a hundred little flailing tentacle things go, it's <laughs> a good sound. And then, then we see the outside and the, the helicopter sort of veers off and goes wobbly and then flies off over a, a a ridge and crashes. Yeah, we see explosion or something. It was a really good surprise that, wasn't it? Because you really thought Olaf was going to be the one to to be the creature and it was actually the other guy. Yeah, I don't know how he got infected, but I guess who knows. Yeah, that's a good little it's a it's a good you know, it's playing off the the premise of the stories and it? it's the fun and yeah, games I, of the story. Olaf Olaf was just uh, nervous because he just seen someone get ripped apart. I think. Yeah, I think so. He he was in a bad shape. So yeah, so so they this helicopter crashes, and then um, you know Kate's questioned about well why are you trying to wave them down? What's going on? And she uh, essentially presents her theory that uh, the alien was on board the helicopter. Yeah. And there's still and when she goes back and has a look at the shower again, it's clean. Mm. And she says, and it's shower's been cleaned up, so I think the alien is still here the with us. us yeah. One of us is the alien, and everyone's like looking at each other, and they all, number of them still say, no, well, I don't care, I'm getting out of here. Yeah, We've got to leave, we've got to do something. Yeah, they, and that's, uh, she says, like, if you, because they go, we'll go to the Russian camp, and it's like, 
if you go, you could be, she says, you could be stuck in the snow patrol with them, you know, and you won't even know. And that's what the monster, that's what this creature wants as well. Um, mm. And they also, they say, well, there's no point saving the Americans because they they basically would be dead. Like, no one would survive that crash. No. And they, so again, she's she's just a little woman with little woman ideas, little women brain ideas, when all the men are saying, no, we're going to go and we go to the Russian camp, get help, we'll move on, you know, and uh, we'll live through this, basically. Because the problem, though, is that, and I think you and I have understood this concept, is that um, little little woman brains and little woman ideas turn out to be extremely good ones. They do. Uh, at least my <laughs> wife tells me that, and I'm just yeah. going to have to believe her. Yes, me too. I, I dare not say otherwise. No, I won't tell uh, her. Okay. Good thing she doesn't listen. No, no one I know listens, listens to this show. No, especially especially uh, women with little women brains. Probably We're probably hey, turning gonna, off I'm half our Tom audience Hanks. now. Tom Hanks is in uh, isolation. I'm going to suggest he has a listen. He's, he must be running out of stuff to listen and do. He must. He must. Um, so anyway, the woman with her little woman ideas ha- actually has a good idea. And the other, this is where the other woman kicks in, isn't it? She, she comes up to her and she says um, she saw, Colin. what did she say? She saw one man clean the yeah. shower. Colin seemed to be coming back from the shower with Colin, little rags or something oh, to clean yeah. it. The British guy. Yeah. Which, and, which, look, I've got to say on a little side note, I, lo- I loved all this tension that, you know, like there's nothing like, okay, there's a big, you know, there's a big creepy monster alien thing. It's going to rip you apart and blah, blah, blah. But then to know that it can replicate and one of them in the group could be actually the alien, like it just really raises the stakes, doesn't it? Well, it's, it's that thing in Alien, you had the monster in the walls. Yeah. And so the group would stand in a room and all face outwards looking at the walls around them. Mm. Uh, the thing, what the thing brought to this table, and I'm talking about the, the 82 thing because it was kind of a bit more uh, close into the Alien film, but this one does it as well, is they're looking around the outside going, oh, there's something out there. Yeah. But they can look at each other as well because yes. there's something inside one of us. Yeah. <laughs> Although I always thought it'd be funny if it was actually the other way around where they're all going, oh no, one of us is the alien. And they're actually all aliens, except there's only one human left. Yeah. And all the others <laughs> are aliens pretending like, and yeah. they're thinking, all these other, I don't I don't want these other guys to find out that I'm the alien. Yeah. And so you could end up with this whole, I, I think it'd be a bit of a comedy situation where <laughs> they suddenly discover, oh, hang on, what, we're all aliens? Yeah. Well, who the hell's the, the human? Is it the one that we let go on the helicopter? Yeah. What? Yeah. So anyway, she oh, the women the women kind of, you know, she's nominated this one, so she's suspicious. Um and then when she gets uh she she kind of comes out. And again, this is where I, I liked how the the speed of this story was like she kind of comes out I think to confront, did you say it's Colin? And then it's then then the thing attacks. Like it, it actually attacks one of them. Um and so yeah, they get out the open and it goes yeah, and then so this is where they get out, which is a real good homage, I think, more probably to the Predators, the flamethrower. I mean, why doesn't yeah. modern movies use a flamethrower? This is awesome, but isn't tell it? Tell me so why, the, why does a research team have flamethrowers? I, I, I don't, I I don't, don't know, and I don't care. Sorry, I, wish, but... I just wish I had a flamethrower. It would be good for this pandemic that we're in right now. 
burns and people that are, you got the you got the coronavirus. <laughs> flamethrower time. If this was the eighties, then we would all have flamethrowers. Don't worry. Yeah, about I know. And they burn it to a crisp, which is great. And again, it kind of like yeah, it, it squeaks away. It kills poor old Carl. Yeah, poor old Carl. Yeah, that's okay. And uh, the, the thing really with that is then well. it makes them realize that any one of them could be the thing. This is kind yeah, of like they all It also all makes realize. them realize it's because up till then it was just sort of this her theory. Yeah. And yeah, there was a helicopter crash. Sure, that's really weird and dangerous. Yep. And she says she saw the, you know, shower full of blood, but it's not now. It's not there now. Yeah. So, so a, bit he- you know, a bit of hearsay. Yeah. So, and then so this is what leads us into this idea that you were talking about before that then she says that they, we have to quarantine it. Like, how do you stop this? You have to be in quarantine like a virus and we need to test everyone's blood. Yeah. Um, Which is, well, I thought it was a, it's a little bit close to home at the moment. That yep. wasn't the intention choosing this movie, but no. there you go. And she disconnects or they disconnect as a team. They're going to test the blood. Her and another guy, I can't remember which other guy. Is this, um, oh, he seemed to really get an affinity for, is it Lars? It's Lars, isn't it? Is it Lars? Yeah, Lars, the, the one who couldn't speak English. Yeah, he suddenly, him and Kate suddenly, it's not romantic or, but they seem to suddenly have a connection and they go off and they disconnect the vehicles and he shows her the grenades, but he doesn't yeah. show the other guy. That's right, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, he keeps yeah. it sort of secret, and the other yeah. guy comes in and says, "What you doing?" Uh, yeah. yeah, nothing. Nothing. Just hanging out, being cool. <laughs> yeah, we're just. And then Adam, who's bit. been, Adam, who's been working on the samples. Yeah. He steps away for a moment. Yeah. And then suddenly there's a fire in that that thing that, that we see. There's just a fire, and people come running and put it all out. Yeah. And this means then that their their blood test that they've been working on is just ruined. Complete. And so, and, yeah, and totally with, ruined. Yeah, and, then and you with, get the immediate accusations start flying. Yeah, and with that out of the darkness, the and pilot and co arrive suddenly. So they they kind of come out of nowhere. And yeah, so they, everyone's at this heightened state of, yeah. oh my god, there's crap everywhere, and staggering in comes uh, what Derek and Sam. Yeah, hugging onto each other, they in and they're looking a little bit bewildered as they get a flamethrower pointed at them, and they whip out a flamethrower and a pistol or something and no they they have nothing uh, at that point remember and then they so they get locked up they want to actually kill them because they say no one would have survived that and she kate says we have to lock them up and test them as well yeah yeah and then then, uh, the 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 crew chief uh or whatever his name was the um norwegian station commander he's he's like saying just Shoot them, shoot them, yeah. burn them, burn them, burn them, kill them. And, yeah, finally this this fellow on the spot, uh, Pedder, I think his name was, he just goes, bah, and sort of goes to burn them. And the, and the Derek, like, shoots him through the head and pierces his flamethrower tank and uh, fire is going to explode, so everyone jumps aside. And you end you up then with this... You jumped ahead of a good scene, but sorry. Oh, did I? What? Yeah, what the scene I mean? where she's, so she's, they've locked them up, but oh, she, yes. and they've got the, they can't do the blood test anymore. And then she says, there's one other way to tell who is the creature. And that's through the fillings, the, you know, through the fact that it can't replicate 
um, human-made products like fillings. And so she yeah. gets them to open their mouth and she starts with Lars. Remember, again, this is like Lars, he's on, he, I was really like, oh, and he opened, he's got fillings. So, no. Nope. And then the next guy, he's got fillings. They've all got bad teeth. <laughs> yeah. And then she gets to I, her sister. Going, yeah, oh, then she I'd gets to her assistant, Adam, and he's going, this isn't fair. Yeah. Because I've got no I'm feelings, get accused you know? because <laughs> like, I floss. and so she tells him to go to the other side of the room, and then she she um, looks at um, she goes to look at the boss, and he go he, there's a bit of a standoff, and then he goes well they're porcelain, so he goes to the other side of the room, and then I think the next yeah. guy's got feelings, so you know he's so you got sort of like three on the one side, and then there's finally a last guy who's been acting a bit suspicious, and he he refuses to open his mouth. And so he he's, goes over. Well, he's the, the, the station commander fellow yeah. who was urging his friend to shoot the, yeah. to burn the, the Americans. So there's a bit of suspicion going on there, wasn't it? So then, and then they say they'll go test the Americans the same way. And is it Lars and, um, yeah, oh, was it, I can't remember the other guy. And they go off to see the Americans and the Americans have escaped. And it's kind mm. of funny, isn't it? Because they've escaped from where they were. And the way that they, the way they opened up the part that they escaped from, it was a little bit like when the creature broke for, through the roof. It was kind of all like the wood was broken back. It looked a bit too crude for humans to do. Yeah. It looked like, because I initially thought maybe the, the monster had smashed in and grabbed them. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's escaped and, well, I mean, it's a bit confusing, I thought, there, because Lars then gets pulled through the door. He does, yeah. And, like, just disappears, and yep. this other fellow runs off, leaving poor old Lars to his fate. And there's a good line, there's, sorry, there's a really good line there that with them all kind of having this standoffish before then he runs in to say the Americans have escaped, is that guy, the station manager, turns to the boss and says, she's clever, and now she's in control. And they kind of like look at each other and it's a real good look of suspicion because, again, you don't know if they, these people are human or not, do you, at this point in time? Yeah. So the Americans have escaped and while they debate, they hear breaking in. So they're like, oh, the Americans are coming and we're getting the impression that the Americans are not Americans. They're probably aliens. There is, like you were just starting to say, there's a big confrontation. The American shoots one of them down. There's an explosion. One of them tries to do the flamethrower, but the pilot overtakes him. Um, and the, really what happens is the Americans take control of the situation. Um, yeah, and, and they're kind of like everyone into that room. yanking everyone into the room. And as they're yanking them into the room, the station master, his arm gets ripped off <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it becomes a spider crab-like alien creature that kind of like goes crawling along the floor and the ceiling and everything, doesn't it? It, uh, it it tongue kisses. Um, yeah, it does, uh, doesn't the guy it? Guy yeah. from Game of Thrones. Yes, again, very much uh, alien-like, isn't it? Because it kind of like sucks onto his mouth, and yeah, um, and it looks like it's like pumping itself into him. Like, yeah, blah, 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 blah. that's it gross. Was, it was just a little bit <laughs> uh, unpleasant to watch. It was, it was and he, he can't kind of. He's instantly paralyzed or something. It's very much like the face hugger. So. Um, and yeah. there's a shoot off and the co-pilot gets stabbed with that claw thing. Cause then the body part uh, of yeah, the thing is, is kind a, of a great scene. Up. Yeah. It's a really good scene. As this guy, way. he turns, 
it doesn't just sort of um it it does the worst thing so when when juliet changed she, and the guy in the helicopter they kind of ripped open and just sort of revealed weird teeth and stuff whereas this guy he falls on his back and initially a, a tentacle shoots out of his chest yeah. and like rips adam's spleen out or something terrible yeah and you know rips some other dude apart and then start smashing things and and a couple of people run for it and the Americans pull the table over the pool table over and hide behind it. Yeah. But the really terrifying part of this one here is that his other arm falls off and runs away as well. Yeah. Which is quite terrible. Yeah. But then he sort of does his arm arching backwards and grows bits. And he's sort of this weird sort of upside down. He's using his head upside down, which is yeah. very disturbing in the way it did it. And it, it crawled over top of Adam. And yeah. rubbed right up against and rubbed his face, and that I found there was something very unsettling about the way he kind of rubbed up against him and turned his head, and I thought he was going to yeah. like kiss him or something, you know. <laughs> but then their faces stuck together. Yeah, oh, and it's gross. And then he, he dragged his body off in that in a very alien and unnatural way. You know, you, it's not like. Uh, now, a monster has, it has killed me, someone and yeah, dragged them off. It's just and it reminded grotesque. me a bit of like the exorcism, you know, like it was a bit like poltergeisty and supernatural. And yeah, you're exactly yeah. right. It was disturbing and not now. And when their faces, like he rubs his face, the alien rubs the face up. It's you see the faces kind of join. You know, they're slowly kind of mold together, and Adam's like screaming away, and it's you know, but On, within a few stretching out, and, yeah. Within a few seconds, they're, they're this two-headed monster, you know, like it's it's very creepy. And then, at the, But at the same time, he's also, the alien is firing off this launching spear thing that's stabbing, it stabs the co-pilot in the heart and probably puts some poison in him or something. And uh, the other guy um, with the Game of Thrones guy, you know, he's been sucked in with the, ha- the face hugger. So it's all really yeah, terrifying. Stuff and moving the, under his skin. Yeah, and they managed to burn it a bit and it escapes out of the room. And at the same time, the the boss, good old, um, uh, what's his name? The Dr. boss. Sander. Yeah, Sanders had a, he, he ran out of the room. So he escaped. Um, and Colin went out the other way. Yeah. The co-captain then does die um, and she has to burn him. Uh, and yeah, Adam, the lab assistant, is then like carried away as this two-headed monster kind of thing. So basically then the, yeah, Sam and Kate are just, their mission is we've got to find it and we've got to kill it. Yeah, and they they um, go along and, and Sam has got an axe. And I saw them with an axe and I was like, I'm not sure what you intend to do with that because, one, you probably don't want to splatter it all over you because you'll get infected by it. And two, doesn't seem to mind having bits of it chopped off. <laughs> and sure enough, we get... What I, I swear must be an Evil Dead homage. Yeah, you've seen Evil, particularly Evil Dead Two. Yes, where there's a, the the scuttling sound, and that like they they quickly look over to this wall, that wall, scuttle scuttle, this wall, that wall. Yeah, and that that's the only thing they could have done to make it more pronounced would have been to have his ear twitching as he heard the sounds. <laughs> but then there's yeah, there's this little hand, the, the the guy's hand that had come off and become its own little creature, jumps in and he hits it with an axe and 
chops it in two. Yep. And then there's two bits scurrying about, which you know rejoin themselves, and uh, Kate burns it, uh, and they get. Well, they get separate because he then picks up like a, a broom handle, and they go in looking some other rooms. And we see and, it's kind of like <clears throat> there's an intercut bit because, again, you didn't know maybe the boss was an alien, but then there's a bo- moment where the boss is hiding and the creature comes in, you know, it's a good old sort of monster shadow comes across him and, yeah, the boss mm. gets attacked and, and killed. Um, and the monster seems to then attack the two of them after they burn that little spider bit. And uh, Sam, the pilot, he runs off another way, doesn't he? Um, and yeah, the he, two he human runs off through the kitchen. Yeah, he kind of gets to the kitchen, and the two human head then slowly creeps towards them, towards him, and he's kind of like earing him. You know, what's the word? He's he's walking kind of backwards, creeping backwards more and more into the shadow, and this creature comes into the kitchen. So we, they're in the same room. He's kind of leaning back across the shelves and it's coming closer and closer. And he's there's a really lovely bit of acting there from Joel Edgerton where he kind of he's kind of edged himself back again like a human coming towards a corner and this creature's slowly coming to it. You know he's gonna eventually, you know, attack him, see him. He's not turning back. And what I meant by acting was he's standing there and there's a moment where then like He's got his axe and it, you know, that's right. He got a, he got a knife, didn't he? From the kitchen. Yeah. Um, big, you know, one of those good old big slasher knives and it like, it shakes and it hits the, the bookcase. And there's a really, I, I really liked that because so many of these sort of horror films as well, like they'll have those moments where the hero just stands there and they're scared, but they're not trembling. Like he was actually trembling and the knife, like whacking the thing. It's like a nice little tremble. Um, mm. So I really liked that because it's kind of, so easy to kind of go, oh, they're the hero and they're the main person and they go, so, but it, he's literally like, no, I'm probably going to die here. <laughs> um, so I did really like, and then it attacks him. It's a good, nice kind of like, ah, and it goes to attack him. And she, Kate, surprises us, doesn't she? She kind of comes out of left field and burns the motherfucker. Burns it and then, yeah, Joel, Jolly Joel jumps up on the shelves and kind of dances around and the monster bursts through the walls. Uh, out into the snow, but Kate chases after and and burns it. Finishes burning it basically. Yeah, it's dead. And at that point, I believe we see the uh, snow cat yep. driving past, and they look and they see uh, the boss's face. Good old Colonel Sanders driving off. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yep. Sanders, Doctor Sanders. That's Colonel Sanders. <laughs> I just brother. suddenly got a connection there. Yeah, Colonel Sanders has taken off that bastard. And um, while they're standing at a Kentucky Fried monster that's right yeah and it's taken off and he says and sam says oh look he can't get anywhere he'll just freeze he's got nowhere to go and then cases no he's got one place to go yeah and it surprises me that this monster didn't try to get to the spaceship earlier but you know maybe it wasn't sure that it was going to work yeah or something you know it was trying to win wasn't it you know it was like trying to take over and yeah but maybe it felt like at this point in time it was losing the battle yeah, so so they jump in another cat and chase after it. Soon enough, catch up to the um, other snow cat, and they they jump out, follow down into the glacier where there's a spaceship, yeah. and its lights are starting to turn on. Yeah, it's starting to come on, isn't it? And they they start running across, and then these vents start opening, throwing up bits of ice. Yeah, it's... and it's like coming like a wave towards them, and they run, 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 run. 
but uh, or Katie doesn't she doesn't quite make it. She, she falls grabs in. hold valiantly, but uh, you know Sam can't get there in time, and she falls into yeah. the interior of the spaceship. She's fallen into and the air condition. Yeah, I, I was wondering, like, where that would go, but it seems to just go into the spaceship, which yeah. is, uh, I, I know, it must have served a purpose or something. Yep. Uh, and yeah, and and we follow her then, and she's watching this spaceship powering up. There's sort of big things moving around and shifting and. Uh, I'm always amazed that these alien spaceships have so many moving parts. Yeah. When all of our transport just basically is the shape it is and stays that shape. Yeah. Because and this is how they you... travel across space. Well, you and I have talked a lot about this on Space Brains that, you know, as humans, we haven't, you know, we can't go that far with our current technology, can we? So we've got to, we've got to learn from these writers of science fiction, I think, sorry, because we've got to have lots well, of moving parts. That's what you have to have. Well, well, I guess maybe this spaceship was designed to survive 100,000 years and yeah. part of that protocol is to sort of close up and pull everything in and get in, you know, turn to a nice little armoured ball. But anyway, so she sees all this stuff going on and she wanders through the base uh, and she spots, uh, well, you know, she, this thing comes up from behind her when she's there and it it's has a, it's, originally got the boss's face on it. Yeah, but just before but, that, she's got this... It's pretty cool, wasn't it? It was like a, it was a bit mystical suddenly, and a big blue oh, yeah, spiral, um, pixely thing. Yeah, and it was like pixely, very, very much. You know, it was all kind of going. It was quite beautiful looking and quite mesmerising. And then you're right that very much again, like Alien, that the creature is actually right behind her in the kind of shadows of the of this part yeah, of the was, ship. That was a real Alien moment where it yeah. lowered itself down and comes out <laughs> and attacks her. And she kind of manages to get away and she gets into the air vents. Yeah, and she kind of crambles on the air vents and kind of like close to her feet but not quite there. And then um, she drops the grenade but like manages to get to a safety, safe point. Um, And Mm. it's kind of then bursts through the wall, doesn't it? And it's right there next to her and all its tentacles are like trying to grab her and, you know, just every last sort of centimetre trying to get there but it just can't quite get there. And then it disappears and then we cut to him and he's looking for her and he's in the ship and he's like calling out her name and he's like looking then we cut back to her and she sees the grenade and it's on the other side of the bit that the alien had broken through so she's gonna have to risk everything to to kind of get to it and she makes a jump for it and she does and then there's a good old-fashioned jump scare there where the creatures on top of her again Grabs her leg, it's yanks her all the way back backwards. through the air vent, back to that really big open bit with the big blue, blue white pixely thing, um, yeah. and it's roaring away at her with all its tentacles and its multiple mouths and all that, and she picks up the grenade and whoop, throws it into that Chucks mouth. In. I love the way pop. its tentacles around its mouth turned around it and dove down its own throat trying yeah. to grab the grenade. Yeah, yeah, it's cool, eh? And then she she tells Sam to run for it and they, they turn around and run and jump aside yeah. as it explodes. Uh, and this sets off a chain reaction, of course, because you can't just have the bad guy die. His, no. his the ship evil to... fortress must fall down too. Yeah. And they and they manage to get out and we see that just this... Just in time. Um, spaceship gets revealed because at the start of uh, uh, the... the 
I guess the sequel to this, which was made in 1982, it's, it's uh, melted away where the spaceship is. Uh, and they, they get out and they get up to the cat and um, Sam Carter you know, gets in, takes his lumpy flamethrower off and puts it down and gets in <laughs> and he says, yeah, we'll, we'll just go to that uh, Russian base. It's 50 miles away. We've probably We've have got enough, enough gas. There, yeah. And then she's she's about to get in and goes, oh, I've got to get this. There's a flamethrower in the way, you know, so she, yeah. she pulls the flamethrower off and goes and she opens the door again and then... She's looking at him she, eerily. Yeah, and then she has to just sort of say goodbye because he goes, oh, get in, what's going on? He says, you know how I knew you weren't an alien? It's because I saw your earring. And he reaches to his ear and she says, it was in the other ear. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, no, Kate. Don't do and it. she flame throws him. <laughs> and it, and for a moment, I was sort of going, is that really it? Because yeah. he's sort of moving. And then there's, you hear the weird, uh, weird roaring yeah. sounds. He yeah. flails about. And, and and she leaves him burning in this in this cockpit. Yeah, and, and, and she, she takes off cat. in the other snowmobile. And the, the lights <laughs> fade on that. And, and she contemplates her decision, sorry, and the credits roll. But this credits very much roll. like a 1980s horror film is that in the credits, because this is quite a thing in the 1980s, in the credits, you actually get a little snippet of something else. Yeah, usually the, the monster returning or what the yeah. aftermath is. And I was expecting that. I was thinking, because because it ended on that shot of her, like, contemplating, I was like, hang on, is she? Is she actually, like, is she infected anyway? Um, yeah. But then we have this chopper land at the camp where everything's torched. And then we cut to a few more credits and then we cut back to shots being fired and Lars returned. What the fuck yes, was he doing all that time? Well, yeah, the guy said, the Americans said, oh, no, we didn't kill him. attack Lars. No. Which, and it was never answered, what, what the hell happened to him? Like, why? Yeah. He, just, he, just, he just took a chill pill for a little while. He, well, he had to, to appear in the, the next movie. Yeah. Anyway. And, and, and then, so, yeah, and this is the setup for... The original John Carpenter one, which yeah. opens with a helicopter chasing a dog. Yeah. And these are the guys from yes. the Norwegian base chasing the dogs. It makes me want to watch that original one again now. It does me just too. Just to yeah. see the, the yeah. continuity. Because uh, this guy, the, the director here and the writer, they worked very hard. The um, Eric Heiserer and uh, uh, Matt, what's his name? You um, said it Matisse. very well. Matisse van Henningen Jr. They worked very hard to make the base look. They they really wanted this to be a sequel, a prequel, that you could watch this through and then watch the John Carpenter one, and it would be um, the scenes of the Norwegian base you see in the John Carpenter original would match what was left behind from this new one. So yeah, he he would compare his yeah screenshots and videos of the original with the, when they were laying at their studios and so forth to make sure that it would all work. So I'm kind of interested to see the the original again now. Maybe we should make that our next movie and just and carry Eric, it on. <laughs> Eric Heisserer, yeah, the writer of this, um, his. Known for he, his big piece was the best adapted screenplay nomination for the film Arrival 
which yeah. is a fantastic bit of science fiction. Yeah, yeah, we have to do that one day. So, yeah, anyway, the, the chopper shoots away at this dog and then the dog gets away, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, Matisse van Hennigan, he's only done a lot of uh, Dutch sort of stuff. Yeah. The Thing is the only... The Thing and Red Rain are his only real director. Yeah, the big credits. time stuff, hey? Yeah, that's, that's the big ones. So he hasn't done anything... It's really since, well, in this sort of field anyway, since 2011. I, th I thought he's quite competent at this. Uh, it's a bit of a shame that you know, it'd be nice to see him tackle you know, something entirely from his creation. Well, like you said, he's they've gone to a lot of effort to make it a prequel, you know, like even so far as to make the base look the same and to connect it into the actual story of the next one. You know, they tried to do as much uh, animatronics and realism as they could that maybe got a bit overrode in the editing or the producing side of things. Um, but you could see they'll really try. And there's a lot of homage to the 80s, a lot of homage to Alien. You know, they tried to kind of make it a strong female character, which is not easy to do, but still, you know, dabble with, with a lot of what was going on in the 80s. And you could see that going on there, you know, so... Yeah, I think like I think that's a really good job. So where does this come in on your ladder then, Surrey? This one is a very firm and solid middle. So yeah. right there with like Revolt and Spectral. Yeah, I remember agree with that. Spectral was the one with the, the, the sort of ghost ghost ones, yeah. Thingos. And Revolt was the one with that, that guy who woke up without any memory with the robots. And like and this I think this movie it if you were to watch Revolt uh, the Thing and Spectral, they all kind of, they feel similar in the way they present and the sort of action and the sort of characters involved. I, I sort of thought there was a uh, a bit of a similarity in the way they, they are. You know, yeah, very definitely. Sort of solid science fiction action sort of uh, films, quite good. Yeah, and I mean, for me, I think I, I really liked, I, I agree, it's right in the middle too what i really liked is um the pace i just thought that that pace of the story you know they didn't hold back there wasn't too much waffling to get us to the actual thing they didn't hold back from mm. here's this massive creature they they lingered a bit at the start on not showing us much which which is really good horror technique you know you just sort of see some snippets when it breaks out of the ice it just kind of breaks out they had a bit of freedom with the monster here that it, it does evolve it does change so they could show us a bit more earlier <clears throat> mm. but i i agree but i i think its strongest point was just how uh quick that plot moved and there was a lot of jump scares there was a lot of surprises like the guy on the plane not being Olaf, it was the other guy. That that really surprised me. The plane crashes and then straight away, you know, there's a lot of suspicious going suspicion going on. And then the next plot point, you know, we've got the fire in the lab so they can't test each other. And then the Americans arrive back. So there, there was no moments really back, you know, oh, it's nighttime, we're going to take a rest from the story. Like it just kept pumping to the next scene. Yeah, there's, no, there's no, nothing I, worse than... Yeah, some of these movies that uh, build and build and build and take forever to get to the point. That's right. And then there's just it's all back ended, yeah, you know, back end loaded where it's all 
all the good stuff's right at the very end. Uh, it's quite, yeah, it's nice. And I, I think that's that might be part of the the affinity there with Revolt and Spectral to me is that they, they both kind of introduced uh, pace and, and interesting mysteries and, and things right at the very start. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. The, the only thing I, I would have really liked to see is I think they could have done a, a bit more on the human-on-human uh, -human suspicion. Yeah. So they did a couple of nice bits there with uh, with some odd looks by people and over the shoulder, but maybe just one other scene before they had their sort of um, checking mouth fillings thing. <laughs> but like one other scene there where they're trying to work towards this blood test and they're kind of, you know, you're getting red herrings thrown in there as to yeah. who might be trying to sabotage. Maybe someone's trying to sabotage because they just want to get out of here. You know, they yeah. figure if I screw this up, I might be able to escape and get out. But that's very but true. You don't know if that's a monster and they're, you know, they end up in this sort of awkward situation where someone confronts them. You know, maybe just one other little scene in there that, that heightened that human on human sort of. Well, um, well even as you so say cool. that, what made me think of something is. You could have even had one of them kill another one, but then then realizing that they weren't the alien. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So it's like it's like a false death. So they they really like when the Americans came out of the darkness. If they had then shot one of the American, you know, the co-pilot had gotten shot then, and then it's like, oh shit, he actually wasn't an alien. You know, like. That, that could have really risen. And then it would be like, well, you shot him. Maybe you're the alien, you know? Like there could have yeah. just been an extra turning of the screwdriver of that human tension. Yeah, I, th I think you make a good point there. But maybe that would have slowed things down too much. Yeah, yeah. These guys are yeah. the experts here. We're just going along for the ride. So it'd yeah. be great to let us know what you guys out there listening to Space Brains, what you thought of the plot um, and also where it sits on your ladder. So please let us know. For us, it sounds like we're pretty much in agreement. So it's in the middle. And we have talked about a couple of really good scenes. Do you want to just nail one in? What did you, what really stood oh. out to you overall? Sorry, what was your favorite scene of the thing? Okay, the number, the number one scene that, yeah, just the number know, one. said a couple of nice ones. The number one was that finally the, the big climactic reveal of the monster where the fellow fell on his back, you know, the, the, the yeah. base leader yeah. fell on his back and the tentacle came out and like, it was just bam, killed Adam, bam, yeah. killed the co-pilot, yeah. you know, bam, killed, you know, whatever his name, bone biter from Game of Thrones, you know, <laughs> the, uh, giant, yeah. giant's bane, I think his name was, you know, and it's just like, whoa, everyone's dying. Yeah. This is so cool. Yeah. Cause often it's the, it's, it's that case is slowly metering out, but that's usually only when you have like five characters. As we said yeah. at the start, there's a whole stack of dudes here, yeah. And this is they're suddenly just dropping like flies, and then it it go it does all of that, and so at the moment you just got this guy lying on his back, sort of having a bit of a seizure, looking a bit weird with a tentacle out of his guts, and then his body ripples and tears apart, and yeah, he's all that sort of backwards, upside down sort of shape that is just anti-human. It's like it's he's got this human face, but he's using his face upside down. Yeah. So he's, you know, he's looking the wrong way. And then he, he smooths up to Adam, almost like rubs his body up and then extends his neck. And you get that, that very eighties, um, 
uh, I guess it was from the like Nightmare and uh, not not Nightmare, the uh, American Wolf in London, you know, where the uh, the morphing of that sort of creaking, groaning, as stretching, sort of really awkward rather than that run that Terminator 2 style smooth morphing. It was that sort of yeah. slow, painful stretching out of the neck until it looked like a really weird, totally alien but still human. And then it's, yeah, it's just that really overly intimate rubbing of the face and you don't know what what is going to happen here. Like is his head yeah. going to crack open and swallow him or worms come out of his mouth or, you know, like it just, it really, it was a really gruesome without actually having any blood and guts yeah yeah it was a very gruesome sort of stomach turning edge of the seat what the hell is this alien thing going to do it's yeah. just unpleasant very um, unpleasant the fact that so many people just so quickly got you know knocked off one after the other uh it it really just made this the scene so uh exciting and and dynamic of you know it because you're wondering, there's so many characters, but they just uh, get all wiped out all the way down to. Because by the end of it, there's just the really just Sam and um, Kate. Ooh, excuse me. And, yeah, there is just Sam. I mean, we find out that Colin later on, you know, in that end sequence, he'd slashed his throat with a cutthroat razor. Yeah. But, but you know, we assume that he's dead anyway. So, yeah, it's just this. It was such an exciting scene without a lot of gruesome blood but it was still really stomach turning yeah and that yeah. was that was what i remember about the original john carpenter film also there was a a scene there where this guy sort of splits open and starts bubbling up in this weird bubbling mucusy black and red thing started growing out with a wolf's face or a dog's face howling in it and yeah it was, it was terrible and so yeah that that's one of my favorite scenes i think yeah definitely i th for me i think the ice i i think that scene's a really great scene because it does show the power you know like you just said it rips apart these you know these bunch of creatures you've also got the arms drop off and they're they're separate creatures and you've sort of got the face hugger and you've got the main creature in it but it, it it's not afraid to take on a room full of humans, is it? Like it just annihilates as many as possible really quickly. So really does demonstrate the power of the alien. So it's a good, again, raising of the stakes, showing us, you know, that how deadly this creature is so quickly. Um, and I, I think if you backtrack in the plot, just that drilling, the, the scene with the ice, the drilling of the ice is such a cool scene because they all stood there, it's a it's a crude old, you know, drill. The guy's drilling down. We know that it probably shouldn't be drilling. Like Kate's told us that it's not the right time to do it. So it's very ominous. Um, and just that drill, you know, like it's it's a good old fashioned ice drill. But you know, it's supposed to be then science. And I quite I, I quite like in movies, in horrors and science fiction when they do this. Hey, when they when you have it's supposed to be scientific, but then they're using something that you'd find in a garden shed, <laughs> like a drill. And, you know, other horror films have done it where, you know, the bad guy's cutting people up with, you know, again, regular utensils that you wouldn't think of. Or there is a, an alien doing an autopsy on a human and, it, and, again, it uses machinery that you wouldn't normally find, you know. And so it makes it much more dangerous um, and they all hovered around and, the director here really used 
very good tension, very good timing that, you know, you had this massive drill going through this beautiful, and that piece of ice was beautiful, wasn't it? Like it was a massive piece of ice. You could see kind of the alien in there. Like when you do look into an ice cube, you can't quite see through it properly. It's out of focus. So you could see this shape that they were heading towards um, and you knew it wasn't going to be good. And so, as a, and again, you just, the unknown there that, are, you know, the director lingered on that drill that, you, you know, you didn't know were they going to hit it and it was going to pop open and rip them all apart. Was it going to like, they were going to drill it and all of a sudden, you know, blood was going to be squirting up, you know, in the air and it's going to be like alien acid blood. Um, you just, you didn't know what to expect and they really, you know, the timing was really there and it felt a bit Hitchcockian actually, the, the idea of, you know, like the drill going in, they're all watching, the drill going in really close up of the ice shredding, the drill's getting deeper and deeper, they're all watching, they're reacting, going back to the drill, he's drilling very hard, he's got to really put some effort in, going back close up of the drill, going back to them watching all in anticipation, you know, they really drew that little bit out until then. And then when it popped and the drill like actually collapses in, then you thought, oh shit, now they're in real trouble. Um, and he pulls it out and you sort of has a little bit of alien blood on it, you know, a little bit that they can take away. Um, and you just knew it kind of wasn't good what they had done, you know? So I really yeah. loved that scene. That was a really great. That, that's, that's probably going to be my second. And yeah. What I really also like is, they put the little bit of alien in the Petri dish. Mm. We don't see anything more of that. Yeah. And I, I seem to think in the original John Carpenter, they, they put a bit in the Petri dish. I think they're doing their blood testing that way. Yeah, they and probably it, did. And um, it you know, bubbles and foams out and sort of turns into a bit of a monster and attacks in its own right. I think so. And so so this one here, they sort of put in there and I'm waiting for something, but no, it's, it's just a bit of a sample they put in the Petri dish. Yeah. Don't see it ever again, you know. It was, it was, it was that real big tension build up and nothing came of it. <laughs> so what about the science? What do you want to pick on on the science? I was looking at stem cells. Oh, because right. they're looking under the... Uh, you know, the microscope at this alien cells and it's engulfing the human cells and then morphing to turn into them or at least turn into something that looks like them. And the interesting thing is this is somewhat the way our body grows anyway. Because if you imagine we start off as a fertilized egg, like a single cell. And from right. that single cell, we have to have bones and muscle and liver and heart and brain, all these very different cell types with very different functions, uh, different construction and makeup, but they're all come from that one egg. And this alien, of course, was much the same. You know, It just got uh, some, we don't know how it infected people, but it would kind of absorb them and then uh, mimic them and hide inside them. And the the way stem cells yeah, uh -huh. work, we have uh, a number of different types. We've got embryonic stem cells, which are the controversial variety because they come from a fertilized human egg, which will grow. It'll um, differentiate, so it'll, it'll divide, you know, so that we've got about eight or 12 cells inside there. Yeah. And at that point, they're still just stem cells. Like they haven't differentiated into a particular type of cell. Yeah. Uh, so they're very handy because if you want to repair a brain or a heart, they don't normally repair themselves. A heart that gets damaged 
uh, like all of our muscles, repairs with collagen, which is not muscle tissue. So we don't grow new muscle cells to seamlessly repair damaged muscle. We grow scar tissue, basically, um, collagen, which yeah. it softens up and it gets a little bit, bit better after some time. But when you're talking about a heart attack, that means you get a scarred heart, which just will never function as well as it used to, no matter right. what you do for it. But if you have stem cells, then what you can do is you can insert them into the damaged part and have them turn into heart tissue. And they'll, oh, uh, if they're your own stem cells, which is what you want to be using, they'll have your DNA in them and they will turn into your heart or your brain or whatever other sort of things that you want to do. And so embryonic stem cells uh, sort of, they're hard to get hold of as well because it's not like we're just swimming in embryos. Uh, we tend to get them from IVF treatment. When you do IVF, you get a whole bunch of eggs and you fertilize a whole bunch of them and you implant some of them and you end up with a whole bunch left over. And uh, some people very kindly allow them to be used for scientific research. But uh, as you can well tell, it, it's a limited supply. It's not, it doesn't run to a very nice sounding future. If you're talking about a future where we're kind of creating embryos to harvest for our own purposes, you know, it, it sounds a bit gruesome. And, and there's, there's always that question of what, where do you draw the line about it's a hard sell, isn't it? harvesting humaning, humans? So luckily, though, we don't have to do that. In fact, we've got much more um, available sources of stem cells. They're just not as excellent because obviously embryonic stem cells, they are already just waiting to turn into everything. Uh, but we do have, for example, um, stem cells in our bone marrow, which are just waiting to turn into your different types of blood cells. So they're a little bit more specialized in what they'll divide into. And we've used stem cell um, therapy for a couple of things. One is for leukemia. That's where you, uh, you know, say leukemia is usually a, a failure of your blood cells to form correctly. And there's a couple of different causes for that. And so there's a couple of different types of leukemia, but let's just talk in general. So what we do is we, we rip out your bone marrow uh, or destroy it with radiation or, or chemotherapy and then inject someone else's in there. And it colonizes and those stem cells just start producing blood. And people actually have changed blood type by doing this. Right. Another beautiful feature of this actually is there's been a couple of people cured of HIV doing this. So okay. you could well imagine uh, you get someone who has the natural immunity and you take their stem cells from their bone marrow, you go and kill someone else's entire immune system and their bone marrow and so now they've got they're, they're, they're living on borrowed time but you go and stick this new bone marrow in there which is now developing anti uh, you know um, antiviral agents in the blood which cure them of HIV and there's a couple of people now who have been free uh, undetectable uh, levels of HIV now for, for several years so that's really exciting sort of work and the final thing that we want to do is where you take adult blood cells and then you turn them into uh, some uh, one of these pluripotent blood cells. 
right. uh, blood cells, stem cells. So this is where it's called induced pluripotent stem cells. So as, you, as I said, things like the liver have got stem cells, which you know the liver can actually regenerate from as little as a quarter of your liver left. So you know, people with quite severe liver damage have had bits of the liver chopped out and the bits that's left over regrows into the liver. But that's all it's going to regrow into. It won't regrow into your heart. But gotcha. the idea is you take some of these, say, uh, liver cells and then you, uh, let me see, do you add a virus which delivers four stem cell skin uh, cell factors and those factors then cause the stem cells to enter an embryonic stem cell state which is it's kind of exciting that we're using a virus to change our cells like this yeah gotcha and this is called induced pluripotent stem cells and this then these things they share a lot of characteristics with embryonic they're still not exactly the same but they will grow into different types of stem cells and obviously there's a lot of work going on trying to turn this into various therapies because as i said you could have uh, uh, trying to cure your leukemia for example if you can create a bunch of these pluripotent stem cells and then get them to differentiate into blood-producing stem cells and stick them back in. You could use your own stem cells to repair your leukemia, which means you don't have to keep taking uh, uh, anti-transplant rejection drugs for the rest of your life. And then there's, there's brain damage repair, heart repair, your spinal cord could be repaired. It just becomes... Uh, you know, the possibilities are incredible. Yeah, you definitely. also absorb another human and hide inside them to break out and kill and eat them. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, no, you can't. No. Nah, bummer. But yeah, so, so that's, that's stem cells, which, which really I thought I was reminded of with this thing. Yeah, really, right. Because uh, I'm very excited by stem cells. The idea of using uh, gene therapy with viruses and stem cells to re-engineer ourselves rebuild ourselves using our own building blocks yeah that's that's going to science fiction territory right there. it is it's a cool way it's a cool idea yeah cool man and that's what about, what about uh you is it was there any particular part of the cinematography or the uh the filmmaking or storytelling process that you wanted to highlight yeah, well, I thought a couple of things. I thought that opening sequence was very traditional of science fiction or horror. It reminded me, so I'm talking about, you know, the guys, the dirty joke, go, you know, chasing a sound and then it collapsing in. Just that opening segment reminded me a lot of the TV show, like The X-Files. Like they had so many, that would be basically the opening pre premise of every episode of The X-Files. Like you had some person investigating something or, you know, someone coming across a creature or, you know, seeing lights in the sky. Um, and then obviously the characters investigating that. So, and there's also lots of horror films and science fiction films when you're dealing with creatures, like there's, they're not the main characters. They're not going to be in the rest of the story, but they're the ones that kind of like discover the creature. So that was a really cool way. I, I liked how they did that. Um, and also just by telling that dirty joke, it, <coughs> enabled a little bit of the boring bit to happen, which was traveling and the sound 
to build a bit of tension before then they discover the creature. So I thought that was really clever. Um, I thought the music was really well done in this film. I don't actually, I didn't look up the composer or anything, but I reckon real big kudos to the composer of the film. I thought it was really great. Um, very eerie, very tonal, really matched the tension that was building. Uh, I keep saying turning that screwdriver, like that's sort of a bit of a writing thing, but it felt like the music did that as well. So as we went from what is it to the creature, to the breakout, to the scenes where the creature's killing them, to then them being suspicious of each other, that music really, it heightened that for me. Like I really found that amazing. Um, with the drilling of the ice again, not, I don't want to go into the plot, but the shot, like that, just that really close up, extreme close up of the drill in the ice. That was amazing. I loved that shot. And I think it's probably added to why I liked that scene. Um, and then we also had a couple of really classic examples of like over the shoulder shots to give us that fear, you know, that jump scare. So that good old fashioned, you know, at the end when she's standing there looking at that blue pixel thing, we got a nice over the shoulder shot that we actually see the creature even though she doesn't see it. Um, and that happens like three or four times in the film, which do create those good old fashioned jump scares. So yeah, that, that were the things that stood out to me in the technicalities in the filmmaking side of things. So let us know what you thought about the thing. Um, hit us up on any of the social media sides of things and um, let us know what you thought about our opinions on the thing, the 2011 version. I think, sorry, we need to go back and watch the 1982 version. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be have to put on the books there somewhere. We'll put it on the book somewhere along the list. <laughs> so that's probably it for us tonight. So hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all at Space Brains or Space Brains Podcast. I'm pretty sure you could find us now or at Gravity Undone for episodes or on Spotify. I'm sure if you're listening to this, you've found some way to listen to us. And what will be our next episode, sorry? Interstellar. Ah, Matthew McConaughey. Goodness, yeah. I've waited a long time to watch this. Yes. I'm There's sure. There's some really cool science concepts in here. Okay. And it is long, so we're going to have to allow a bit of time to get through it. <laughs> yeah. So there we go. That's Interstellar next week. Yep. The Christopher Nolan film. Okay. I look forward to that. See ya. See you later. Bye.